Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's look at three verses tonight. In the beginning of Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I want to talk to you tonight from these three verses from the thought, the pathway to blessing. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the simplicity and the truthfulness of your word. God, I pray that you'd anoint me now to read this scripture and cause it to make sense in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of talk in God's kingdom about blessing and favor, and people have all these church sayings. You meet somebody who's real church, you ask them how they're doing. You might get a, a short version or a long version. The, the big speech is, Oh, brother, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. God is so good, and he's always faithful. Uh, I just feel like I'm always above and never beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, and every mouth that rises against me and this And on and on and on about stuff. None of these diseases shall come nigh unto me. Half of the stuff they're... 90% of the stuff they're saying was only promised to Old Testament Israel and not to us. A lot of people who choose to be what theologians call dispensationalists believe that the Old Testament Israel was replaced with the New Testament church and anything that was given to Old Testament Israel is ascribed to the church and that's not true. There are certain promises to Israel that are only to Israel and there's promises to us that are to us. So all that stuff isn't always applicable, but God does want to bless his children. I think it's so awesome that God chose different ways to reveal himself to us. We couldn't understand him if we saw him. I mean, you think Steven Spielberg is a creative dude. I think he's a little weird. But when you, to come up with the stuff that he comes up with and these designers these creative artists that come up with the way Predator looks and these different aliens look. Listen, the Bible says that God is not a man. He doesn't have flesh and bones like a man, but he's a spirit. What does that look like? What, what, what would it look like to see God? What would it look like to try to figure him out in everything that he is? It's beyond us, but God chose to reveal himself to us in ways that we could understand. One of them was a slave owner. Okay, that, that doesn't sound like a very happy thing. Paul was grateful to say, I am a slave, yes, even a bond servant to God. Uh, that doesn't sound, especially in a country that was formed and framed on, on, the, on the sin and the hatefulness of slavery, that doesn't sound like an appealing deal. 
But if you remove our context of slavery and look at how God showed slavery, uh, Paul understood I'm a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have to worry about the rent. Master's got that. I don't have to worry about the property taxes. Master's got that. I don't have to worry about what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. He'll tell me when I get there. The protection, the provision, all of that's already into the slave owner. And our slave owner is God. Okay, so you don't like that. Everybody can't relate to that. God knew that. So he chose to reveal himself to us as an owner and us as managers. King James word for manager. Managers used in more uh, modern translations. But the, it, one place the Bible says that uh, it, it's required among stewards that we be found faithful. We, we, that word steward is a manager. If you owned a restaurant and you hired Deacon Scott to run it, you would expect him to be faithful over your restaurant. Now, as time goes by, if he's been there for three years, five years, ten years, and you're an absentee owner like a lot of big restaurant owners are, the employees may come to consider that that's his restaurant. He's the general manager. He's the one that makes all the big decisions according to what people see. But if he's really being faithful, he knows that's not his restaurant. He knows that it's not his building. He knows that he is working for somebody higher than him that he has to be responsible to. God has shown himself many different ways so that we could relate to him. But the one way he showed more often than any other way is that of a father to children. Because everybody can't relate to slavery. Everybody can't relate to management. Everybody can't relate to different ways that God chose to reveal himself to us, even governmentally. But everybody knows what a father is, and everybody knows what a child is. And so God chose this way most above all to reveal his character to us so we could kind of get a glimpse of who he is because it's God's desire to give us a glimpse of who he is. All that he is is too big for us. We're going to need a, a, a completed mind, uh, a, a, a totally incorruptible thought process and body to catch all that he is. But he shows us himself more often than not as a father. Now, you got to understand, God is good all the time. And if he's good all the time, he's a good father. So don't think about your dad if your dad was a bad dad. My dad was a bad dad. And I had a seminary professor tell me in class one time, because he was asking people, what's your relationship to your father? A bunch of young guys going to go into ministry at some point in their life, uh, 20 years old. I told him, and he's like, you'll struggle with a proper picture of the fatherhood of God your whole life. And I've seen the exact opposite come true. In my case, not to say he was wrong in a lot of people's cases, but if you have a bad view of men, who, who do you think is behind the feminization of God? Men who love their daddies, little girls who love their daddies and daddy was their hero, or man-hating uh, lesbian feminazis? Trust me, it's the second half. Writing stuff about uh, God our mother and calling God she. Well, they struggle with a view of God, the fatherhood of God, because they have difficulty with men. Even though I didn't have a proper role model as an earthly father, what it did for me was flip me to the other extreme because I didn't have a natural man to be a dad to me. The fatherhood of God has been so great and so awesome and so amazing in my life to know that there, this, there is a father that knows how to treat a child 
And one of the things you, you always know about a good father is that he loves his kids and he wants to bless them. He loves them even when they mess up. But he has to discipline them when they mess up. If you could just get this one glimpse of God, he's the father and you're the child. Now, as your kids grow up, Jeff, Jeff has grown kids, a grown son at least. Um, and I think he's taller than you. Okay? So there was a time in Jeff's son's life when his son was little. And that's my, that's my, that's my little man. That's my little son. That's my baby. But, you know, biologically, he gets older. He gets taller. Now he's got to look up to see his son. And the son may no longer look up at the dad in the natural and think, my dad's the biggest, strongest, baddest man on the planet. Because that's what all little boys think about their dad. My dad can beat up your dad. My dad's better. My dad's smarter. All little kids think that. But as they grow up in the natural and they start looking dad eye to eye and they start looking down on dad, then they start thinking, I could probably take this old dude. I went out back last week. The boys and I were in there. We walk in, walk past the table. A guy, a guy reaches up. He says, what's up, Scott? Fist bump. Don't shake people's hand when they're eating. Come on now. Have some concern for hygiene. A uh, man sitting there eating with his hands. I'm not going to shake his hand, and I don't want him on me. But anyway, sit down. They sat us right across uh, the restaurant from them, and I told my kids, I said, y'all saw that guy that said hi when I walked in, sitting there with his two sons? I said, that's a mirror copy of us. Such a scary mirror copy of us that I, I, I don't know what the rationale behind it is, but it's a guy uh, named Dave who is a year younger than me. He was married to a girl named Felicia that was the exact same age as Gail, my wife who passed from cancer. We all went to the same church. Dave and I were at Ed White at the same time, one year apart. Gail and Felicia were at Ed White together at the same time uh, in the same class. And we all went to the same church. So here's two older dudes, seven years older than their wife, wives way hotter than the dudes, both dudes west side country boys from Jacksonville, married, smoking hot women, and both, all of us going to the same church, and Gail died at 36 years old from colon cancer, and a little over a year later, Felicia died at 36 years old, hadn't quite turned 37 yet from colon cancer. And so I told my kids, it must be, uh, daddies whose wives died, bring your teenage boys to Outback night. And they ended up, after they got done eating, coming over and sitting with us and hanging out for a while. But fathers, no matter what they've been through, no matter what has happened in their life, they want to bless their kids. And listening to, catching up with them about what their life's been like over the last uh, few years since I talked to them last, um, I got to see the grace of God on their life, even though I know they've walked the same challenging road that we've walked. His sons are uh, 15 and 17. Seth will be 13 next week. Mine will be 13 and 15. So, I mean, it's as close a mirror image as possible. But I, a lot of similarities between me and Dave. Uh, a lot of similarities between my kids and his kids. But the overriding theme is God has been gracious to them. He's been gracious to us. He's still loving his kids. I'm still loving my kids. Why? Because fathers love their kids, even in hard times, e even, even in chastisement, even in discipline, even in love. So 
I know that this message of manipulating God for blessing is overblown in current modern-day preaching. It seems like the majority of what I hear other preachers preaching about is how you can get God to give you more money or how you can get God's favor or anointing or blessing on your life. And it's bigger than that. Life is bigger than that. If your only view of, if, if, if Malachi's only view of Deacon Henry was, how am I going to get his money? I mean, there, there, there's a problem there. You know, how can I work him to, to start, you know, setting money aside for my car in the next few years? There, there's a relational problem there. When you look at your children, you, uh, you, you see them grow, go from small to big. And, and Dave, I, I brought up Dave because his son's bigger than him. Dave's a little shorter than I am. His, his son's a, a, a little bit bigger than Dave is. And his son was telling everybody how he can take his dad now. And so Dave looked at my 15-year-old and said, can you get him yet? And Jake just said, no, sir. He's like, come on, man, you can tell me the truth. And I'm like, he ain't told you no lies, Dave. Leave that boy alone. But there's that point in their life when boys grow up, and obviously they could, they, if, if they wanted to, they could take dad physically. I mean, there's obviously a point where you could have taken your dad out physically, but you wouldn't because of the mental and emotional connection. You have that fear and that love and that reverence. We need to understand that no matter how much we grow, we're never as big as God. We need to understand that no matter how old we are, See, because y'all know, and many of y'all have grown children. Many of y'all have been further than I've been. Jake's 15. I have, I haven't, my kids haven't got to that age where they talk back to me yet. My kids don't roll their eyes at me. My kids don't question me. My kids don't, don't say no to me. My kids don't ask me why. My kids haven't got to that age or that place in life where they challenge me. Many of you have older children, or some of y'all had younger ones that's more mature or advanced than mine are. I haven't got to that place where my kids are big enough to think that they don't need my voice in their life. But that's what happens. As kids get older, they start thinking that they're more grown than they are. And I think the same thing happens in the Christian realm. People who've been saved for a long time start thinking that they're grown-up Christians, that they're mature Christians. Well, in a child's case, if your son's always been smaller than you and now he gets bigger than you, he starts thinking that I can take you. Well, there's never going to be a time when we're bigger than God. And we need to understand that. In the natural view, a child can gauge, I'm, I'm, I'm catching dad. They can gauge when you foot race them. I can almost get him in a foot race now. They can gauge when you throw a ball with them. I think I throw harder than he does. They can gauge when you wrestle around on the floor. But there, there's, we don't really have a gauge as to how close we're getting to being equal to God, but the Holy Ghost and common sense ought to tell you, I'm never going to be equal to God. I'm not going to be able to look God in the eye no matter how long I'm alive, no matter how much I learn about the Bible. See, the trick of the devil is that he can't, if you're saved, he can't stop that, but he can get you to think you're further along than you really are. He can get you to think that, that you're better than other Christians. He can get you to think that you've arrived in some ways that you really haven't arrived in. Because here's a newsflash for you. Extra, extra, read all about it. We're never going to arrive. 
We're never going to be as big as God. What am I trying to tell you? When you rightly picture God as your father, you don't need to see yourself. I'm not a, I don't picture myself as a 53-year-old, 215-pound grown man talking to my father. I picture God as huge and me as tiny. God says we're his dear little children. Here's the cool thing about little kids. They, they know daddy loves them and daddy's got them. They, they haven't been let down and disappointed. They haven't seen dad as a human being yet. They haven't seen his flaws and his failures. Some of y'all were with us uh, on, on the uh, big building in, on Blanding. And my son was over 22 feet in the air on a scissor lift set. They're like, I don't know, six years old. Maybe, maybe no, yeah, no. We've been here two, we were there five, seven years. He's five years old. He's up there with one of our, one of our workers, 22 feet in the air. I'm like, man, you better get down off that scissor lift. He said, I'm fine. I said, if you fall, uh, it's not going to be good. He said, I'm not scared. I said, oh, really, you're not scared? Jump. As soon as I said it, he launched himself off the back of this thing at me. So, I, I mean, I understand physics. So I caught him as high as I could catch him, knowing that his weight and, and my lack of Dave Batista's strength was going to make it go, whoo. And fortunately, his legs didn't go through the concrete. And, and that, but he just, dad said, jump, I jump. And little kids, they just believe, I've got nothing to be scared of, my dad's here. But we get older and we lose that awesomeness feeling about who our Heavenly Father is. And we start thinking that we're grown enough to handle our own battles because after all, I've been saved for a long time and I know a lot about the Bible. What we need to do is see ourselves as little children in the arms of a big father who's got everything under control. Because even, even as the preacher said at the funeral the other day, um, he's got the whole world in his hands. He got you and me, brother, in his hands. He got you and me, sister, in his hands. If we stop seeing ourselves as adults in the spirit realm and realize that we're his little children. Little children don't feel like they have to compete for, for daddy's love. Little children don't feel like they have to do perfect at everything for daddy to be proud of them. We fall into this trap of the devil of self-examination and, and trying, to, trying to earn love and respect and blessing and appreciation when really the bottom line is God is way too big for us to ever compete with him. We're just his little children, and he desires to bless us. He desires to love us. He desires to take care of us. But I want you to see God as your heavenly father that is just huge. Now let's look at the word and, and see what we can pull from the word, I said that this is a pathway to blessings. Three things I want you to see about these three verses. Um, I want you to see that God's blessings available to you, that most blessings are continue, uh, conditional, and that God wants to bless every area of your life. Let's think about it. First thing I said, God's blessing is available to you. Okay? This is huge. God's blessing is available to you. Don't answer, but if I said, do you believe that, 
everybody would say yes. Well, some people wouldn't participate no matter what, but everybody that wanted to answer the question would say yes. If I would have walked around, start with Deacon Scott and work all the way back to Deacon Mike and just ask everybody, do you believe God's blessings are available to you? Each person would say, oh, yes, Pastor, I believe that. He's a good God. He wants to bless his children. I believe God's blessings are available to you. But the problem with that is a lot of that's just lip service. A lot of that's learned speech pattern. Because if you really believe God's blessings were available to you, you'd be busy finding out how to get them. If you really believe my, all this church stuff people throw at you, that you're the head, not the tail, always above and never beneath. My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the hills uh, and all this no weapon form. If you believed all that stuff, you would be spending more time trying to figure out how to access the blessings that God has for us one of the verses that i've taught more than any verse in 35 years hebrews eleven six 6 says and it is impossible to please god without faith we don't have y'all never found the notes did you all right the bible i i won't read off off the notes i type i'll I read it off the version i memorize most of the scripture i memorize without faith it's impossible to please god we believe that hebrews eleven six 6 says without faith it's impossible to please god for whosoever comes to God, must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's two things that has to happen right there. Whosoever comes, it's talking about pleasing God. Whosoever comes to God must believe that he is. Everybody believes that he is. We, we're not shy on that theory here tonight. We all believe that God is. It's part of the reason we're here. The second thing, though, must believe that he is and, so there's more, must believe that he is and, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Mm. Now, we can say we believe that, but if we really believe that, we'd spend more time diligently seeking him. If I told you, listen, I'm being honest, straight up, no lie. On one of those last three rows, somewhere on those chairs is... Uh, a check, no, I'll check too hard, cash in a bag, 10 grand. And anybody who wants to stick around after church, after I dismiss, and be part of the I'd like to try to find it team, you find it, you get to keep it. How many people in this room you think stick around and look for that 10 grand? Everybody. Because you believe me more than you believe God. Because you believe in 10 grand more than you believe in what God can do for you. God said that if you believe that he is and that you believe he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, then you're pleasing him. Well, if you believe he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, either you think that verse is a lie or you think that this great, massive, awesome, uh, only real God that there is, that his, what he would call a reward isn't something you'd really like. I probably wouldn't even want that. I mean, I find myself watching game shows sometime, and, and people are all excited because, you know, they want a new living room suit. I'm like, I'm good with my living room suit. I wouldn't even want that. They got to pay. You have to pay taxes on that. You realize the majority of people that win stuff on game shows never get to take it? You can't leave with that $11,000 living room set. And, and, well, seven on a dollar. Uh, so... 
at 70 cents on ten dollars it's seven dollars on a hundred seventy on a thousand seven hundred on ten thousand they got ten thousand dollar living rooms if you can't write them a, a seven hundred dollar check right there you're not leaving with it so i said i'm like i wouldn't even want that the sad news about it is a lot of christians look at this verse and think eh, god calls it a reward i don't even know that i'd want it and ain't even worth looking for and you say i don't feel that way pastor well then why don't you spend more time seeking him He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you believe he will reward you for diligently seeking him, that ought to cause you to put your behind in gear and start seeking him. I told my son, until he is proficient on the practice test for getting his license, I'm not spending $25 on the Internet for him to take a test to get his uh, learner's permit and fail it. He said, you want to take this test? You want me to put my credit card number in that internet and let you take this test? you got to prove to me that you have sincerely studied the handbook. Well, he turned 15 last August. He'd be 16 in a couple of months. He still ain't, got, ain't, ain't took the test one time. Why? It's not important enough to him. He knows he's got to study the handbook before I even let him take the test. He's recently started studying it. Because he's seeing that his other 15-year-old friends have learner's permits, and he don't. And he found out that you can't get your real driver's license until you had your learner's permit for a certain amount of time. So now I saw a shift in him where I told him, here's your benefit. He didn't want it. So he didn't work for it. But when he wanted it, he started working for it. So my question that I want you to answer in your own mind is, do you believe that the reward God wants to bless you with is big enough to work for I can't imagine that someone with access to everything God has would call something a reward that was less than something we'd want. God's blessings are available to you, but you've got to work for it. You've got to sincerely seek him. You've got to diligently. That word, those who diligently seek him, that's not up and down. That's not three days on, three days off. That's not three months on and a week off. That's diligently seeking him. Gail went to school at Ed White with a man named Dexter Jackson. He's an African-American man about this tall. And he is the number one bodybuilder in the whole world. You seen him? Dexter Jackson. This dude is about this tall and about this wide. I had a tailor was making some clothes for me, and I was telling her, you know, I got a, odd, I got a lot of odd shapes on my body. I ain't an easy guy to buy for off the rack. And she said, Scott, if I can make shirts for Dexter Jackson uh, that fit him, he has got a 56-inch chest and a 26-inch waist. He dropped from 56 to 26, and he's only this tall. Taking a shirt from 56 to 26 taper on about 11 inches of torso, not an easy thing to do. But she was able to do it. She had the goods. If you believe somebody has the goods, you seek them to do it, you know they can give you something that you want that's worth paying for, that's worth working for, that's worth going after. Why don't we go after God? Why don't we search for God like people, people tearing them chairs up back there, throwing them around? I mean, look at Black Friday. 
Well, they like, I, tell, I, I, tell, I tell my close friends, I don't say much from the pulpit because people get so nervous when I talk about race. But I tell my, my, my real African-American friends, the world's lucky I ain't black because I'd be militant about everything. Why I got to be Black Friday? Why I got to be that? But anyway, Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. You see these people? Pushing over old women, stepping over prayer. For what, $9 off a of VCR? Y'all know I'm old. They don't even make VCRs anymore. <laughs> Best title of a message I ever had, boats, cars, and VCRs. That don't make sense no more. People go hard on Black Friday. At 3 o'clock in the morning, sleeping on the sidewalk to get you a spot to save $19 on a microwave. What? That's diligent right there, though. Boy, they would diligently seek a Best Buy. Trust. If you don't believe me, show up 4 o'clock. Try to walk in line. Line's in the back. Got no beef with you, man. They diligently seek these sales. Why don't we diligently seek God? They get up early to go save a few dollars on a vacuum cleaner. We're going to get up early to pray. Stand in line all night long. Don't go to bed. Save $12 on a microwave. But we won't stay up late to spend time with God. God's blessings are available to us. We know this. But you got to work for them. The only way to get them is to diligently seek him. I know. Here, here's the sad thing that I know. And Cliff and Julie were a big part of our church for a long time. And they were with us when we, when we were brand new in Lake Asbury. And um, I saw them grow. I saw uh, Cliff and the rest of them get saved. Julie was new to Christ when I met her. But none of them were serving God when I met them. And I saw them grow, and I talked to Julie, and I taught her about prayer. And she was honest enough to admit she didn't get it. And, but then now that she's grown in her faith, she loves to pray and will pray all the time and just likes to be left alone to where she can pray. And some of y'all get that, but the sad reality is I know that most people don't. Most people, prayer is not an energizer. The Bible says when you pray in the Spirit, you, you, you build up your own faith. It's designed to give you a boost. It's designed to be a B12 shot. But most people, if they pray at all, don't leave feeling so refreshed and encouraged and, and value prayer at that level. Why? Because most people haven't done it long enough to break through to where it's valuable to them. God's not going to let you feel great about praying. And you pray a little bit here and a little bit there and go days without praying and try to pray again. That's not diligent. He rewards those who diligently seek him. If you diligently sought God through prayer, if you would give ample time every day, set your appointment with God every day, same time every day, same place every day, just like those of us uh, baby boomers who grew up watching Batman, what did they say? Same bat time? What? Same bat channel. And ain't none of y'all baby boomers, me and Jimmy, uh, and Joyce. rest of y'all too young and Deacon Scott. The rest of y'all too young. If you're more than 12 months younger than me, you missed it. 64 is the cutoff. 1964, not age-wise. But same bad, there, there was value. Tune in tomorrow, same bad times. Why? Because it's something that you did 
repetitively, over and over and over again. I could call my friend Mark right now, who I grew up with, and I could say, what were we doing so many days in the, in, during the week in our lives when we were young teenagers being drunk, watching what, at 4 o'clock on TV? Kwai Chan came. Kung Fu came on Monday through Friday on, on, local, on local television. If you can take the pebble from my hand, it'd be time for you to leave. That's not real funny at 53 years old and sober, but drunk as a teenager, that was a funny show to watch. And we were diligent in our watching it. I could tell you about Kwai Chang Kang. I could tell you about him walking on rice paper. I, I mean, but what are you diligent in? Most people are not diligent in anything. Most people, I saw a movie. It's a nutty movie. Uh, it's about some weird, I think it's Jimmy Fallon. I can't remember. But he's an over-the-top Red Sox fan. And it's ruined every relationship he's been in. And he tries to date Drew Barrymore, and when she finds out that everything in this life, this guy's life revolves around the Red Sox, she figures out why every woman he ever tried to date left him. And she tells him what a problem it is at one point in the movie, and he finally mans up and tells her some reality, man-to-woman reality. He said, okay, yeah, may, maybe I am crazy about the Red Sox. This has been my passion for 35 years, every day of my life. What have you been passionate about every day? What are you still passionate about today that you were passionate about 30 years ago? Well, she fired back with a really good answer. She said, you're right, nothing. But again, again, I'd look pretty stupid still wanting to be with David Cassidy right now, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Y'all don't get it, but what have you been passionate about Every day for a month. This is why people that start weight loss programs can't lose weight. They won't stay diligent. This is why what Dina was telling me that uh, the girls call y'all the something of the dieters. Um, the diet dropouts. <laughs> that, that's what their dog. Hey, I'm going to tell you what. Dean and Scott and Dina, they've been on every kind of diet there is. They tell you more about dieting than anybody on the belt. Y'all are on a diet now, ain't you? <laughs> well, I know Dina's on a diet. You got a minute? You a diet dropout? See? <laughs> right there? I got a couple fellow brothers in the, in, the, in the diet dropout membership. See, me? I ain't done any diet. Pastor, have you ever tried the Atkins diet? No. You ever tried the Bobo diet? No. You ever tried to match your blood type to ear eat it? No. Do I look like I diet? It's what I'm gonna try for. Which is no. I'm not diligent. I know I'm not gonna be diligent. Why don't I start a new diet? I can't pass donuts. Well, I mean, life is short. Y'all gotta get some. But what are now here's the thing though. Dexter Jackson, the dude Gail grew up with on the west side of Jacksonville, a little five-foot-five, um, skinny, graduated high school, 130 pounds. You're five-foot-five and 130 pounds. You got more in common with a woman than you got in common with a man. Now, the number one bodybuilder in the world. You know how he transformed his body? And he's huge. Google Dexter Jackson. Gail loved this. A friend of hers so much, she named her dog after him. Uh, and the dog she still had when, I, when, I, when her and I started 
uh, seeing each other. Dexter Jackson, that was her dog's name, named him after her high school buddy. This dude is beyond swole. This dude is beyond huge. I mean, he packs more muscle in a five-foot-five frame than you could possibly imagine. You think he got that way up and down, taking months off of the gym, eating right three days a week and splurging on four days? No. You cannot do, be great at anything without diligence. You can't be great at anything without going after it. I see these people pretending to be musicians now. I played drums my whole life growing up. And I can remember my first year. You see, we were still in Virginia then uh, because down here, schools didn't have band until the seventh grade. Well, up there they had band in sixth grade. So my first year in band started in sixth grade, and I was playing drums. Everybody in band had a practice card, and you had to fill out the time every day, seven days a week, that you practiced on your instrument at home and have your parents sign that. And these people would come in, their practice card would be like, you know, Two, three days, four, five empty slots on there. Mine would be like one, two, three hours a day every day. And that's why I was a section leader in every band I ever played in because I understood the value of consistency. I understood the value of diligence. You can't, Ken, you, you probably got a couple hours logged on your fingers on that guitar. Ken's played guitar around the world, a professional musician. You think anybody gets to be a professional musician just, just picking at it every now and then? you got to work at it. We work at being parents. We work at doing a good job for the man we can't stand that we work for. And this is the, the mind-blowing thing about Christian. You go to a job Monday through Friday that you hate. Be on time to a job that you hate. Fight more traffic to get to your Monday morning job that you hate. Be on time for that, but can't be on time for church. What is that saying? Go to a job that means nothing to you but a paycheck. Let the boss cuss you out, dog you out, tell you all about yourself. I say one thing you don't like. Who do you think he is? Talk to me like that. I'm grown. Tell your boss how grown you are. We diligently seek a paycheck Monday through Friday. Bet it. We're clocking in on time, getting that money. Unless you learn how the time clock works, you got that, you know, six to eight minute fudge zone. Hey, y'all don't remember them old time clocks? You Hey, seven and a half minutes to three, any time between there, it just rolled up. We'd be clocking out seven minutes to three. I'm out. It rolled out to three. Clock in, you clock in seven minutes late, it went back. You'd be coming in. 8.06. <laughs> But that was every day, in there, in there, in there, in there, in there. Who's that diligent to their Bible study? Who's that diligent to their prayer? You know, me, one of the biggest things on my schedule. It sounds like nothing to you, but, I mean, it's one of the biggest things on my schedule. I've got to get my kids fed every day. This, this is not something I can be anything but diligent in. They have to eat every day. Y'all know about that, right, moms? They have to have, God put some food on them, don't you, Darius? You just can't be like, I don't feel like it today. You know what? Y'all handle it. What? You better feed me. Right? Am I right, Nixa? You got you gotta you gotta you, you gotta give big man something to eat every day. So every day I I I gotta get these kids fed. Well, I don't cook. Ain't nobody else living there but me and them. 
So we got to pick a restaurant. Every, the biggest battle in our life, where are we going to eat today? We've, eat, we've already had everything and been everywhere. But it is relentless every day. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, uh, the boys are home. I got to get home, get them started on their homework because uh, I got to get them fed. I got to get them showered up. I got to get them in bed by 830. That's every day relentless never changes that's just part of it you've got things that are part of your relentless schedule that are non-changing that are non-negotiable why do we feel like our prayer time is negotiable why do we feel like our bible study is negotiable i'll tell you why because we see value in getting our kids fed showered and in bed on time but we don't see value in getting rewarded from god he see we know that we got to get our kids, we see big value in, in feeding our kids and getting them to bed on time, but we really don't see big value on God blessing us. Because either we don't believe that God can bless us, or we just are determined not to be blessed. The blessing of God is available to you, but you got to pursue it. Second thing we need to understand is that most blessings are conditional. Look, look, look at verse 1, Psalm 1, one. Blessed is the man who... And then it lays out some conditions that have to be performed to get the blessing. See, these Christians walking around talking about I'm blessed and highly favored. But probably not. You don't read your Bible. You don't pay tithes. You don't serve in any ministry. You don't have a consistent quiet time with God. You haven't given up anything for God. You're still as ragged as you were when you first came to God. You're not growing in your faith at all. You don't love him more today than you did last year. You're not blessed. You have deluded your mind to think that you're blessed. To be blessed by God, most of his blessings are conditional. And that's why I call it the pathway to blessing. There's a path. we got to get on this path and, and figure out how to get these blessings. Verse 1 said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, I tell you all the time, pay attention to the punctuation. So the punctuation will make this Bible study question easy for you. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, comma, nor standeth in the way of sinners, comma, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, period. How many things are on that list to get God's blessing? Do, 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 na, na. Three, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, does not stand in the way of sinners, and doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. That is the pathway to God's blessing. You want to be blessed by God? Stop saying you're blessed and highly favored. That is religious garbage. That is valueless to people who do not pursue God by faith. That's noise. There's no truth to it. You're not blessed just because you say, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. That don't make you blessed. God said you're blessed when you do these three things. You have got to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You, 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 you. Think about this. Do you spend time asking lost people for advice on important issues to you? I don't take advice from lost people. Ever for anything. I don't take advice from carnal people. People come up to me and say, Pastor Scott, I got a word for you. And I know that you're shacking up. I know that you are defeated in your walk with God. How do you have a word for me? Get a word for you. 
All the rest of that stuff is religion. This is what's real. We have got to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud because this is just where the rubber meets the road. Do you read the horoscope? I ought to check my horoscope, see what kind of day I'm going to have. Uh, I got I to check my horoscope, see what sign I'm compatible with. I got to check my horoscope, see if I should play the lottery today. The horoscope is not godly. It's anti-Christian. People taking advice from a horoscope. Psychic hotline, anybody? Man, I was having a rough day Monday. I got in my car and just drove, and I need to spend some time alone with God. I've been going through some horrible situations personally. Pray for me. I ain't all the way there. Uh, I ended up south of Flagler Beach, south of St. Augustine, turning around, going down the road, needed to get some gas. Saw this big, big flashing sign, free psychic reading today. I thought, man, I'd go in there and see what they say about this back issue. You never know. It's free. Who's going to hurt me? Because God said don't walk in their counsel. You need to stay away from certain things. You need not, not, not let everybody have a voice in your life. The Bible says seek the Lord. The Bible says in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. We want to talk to our friends, family, lost co-workers, get advice about what we should do next. When the Bible says just put God at the forefront and everything else will work out. Don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. This is one of the, one of the three things you got to do if you really want to be blessed. The second thing says, nor stands in the path of sinners. We live in the world. I'm not one of these people that think you can just isolate yourself from everybody who's unsaved. I believe you ought to love unsaved people. I believe you ought to minister to unsaved people. But I don't believe you should hang out with them. And I believe that your time ought to be purposeful when you're with them. I have people tell me, how am I reaching them if I, if, you know, if I don't go? You don't go to watch a movie with them to impact them for Christ. You don't go skating with them to impact them for Christ. You don't go to the cookout with them to impact them for Christ. You show up to the cookout. You bring the best you can bring. You glorify God in front of them, then you leave. That's the difference between hanging out and showing up. But God said, don't stand in the path of sinners. Water cooler jokes. Why well, say people be standing around the, 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 rest, the break room with a bunch of sinners? You're worried about, I just feel persecuted. They stop telling their dirty jokes when I walk in. Well, that's, that's, that's something to testify. But you shouldn't be standing around trying to hear the local gossip anyhow. Because the Bible says that you shouldn't stand in the path of sinners God said come out from among them and be ye separate have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness too many church members hang out with people who are either lost or have one foot in the world and one foot in the church you need to hang out with people who are more spiritual than you if you hang out with people who are less spiritual than you you need a better group of people to hang out with if you're the smartest person in your circle of friends you need a bigger circle if you're the most spiritual person in your circle of friends, you need a bigger circle. You should not be the top of the batch. You can't get better until you do better. And you can't learn more until you hang around people who know more. Don't stand. Don't take advice. Don't take counsel from ungodly. 
Saved or unsaved, ungodly folk. Lost or carnal. Don't stand in the path of sinners. Don't hang out with those people. Well, they were my friends. They used to be in God. They used to, they used to come to this church. And I just can't do do. Listen, the word is specific. People to sow discord. Pe- people who try to divide Christian against Christian. Uh, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. The last one is someone who sows discord inside the family of God. But they're my friends. So your friendship is more valuable to you than following the word of the Lord. Just know that you won't be blessed. But if you want to be blessed, you got to do what the Bible says to get it. Don't be in the presence of sinful and ungodly people. But they should know, oh, here she comes. Here he comes. Going to be talking about Jesus. Anybody want to hear about Jesus, better leave. That ought to be how people relate to you. If they see you any other way, if they're not calling you a Jesus freak, and if they're not saying you're too heavenly-minded to be too any earthly good, then you're not really walking with God at a high level. And just, just to clear up any confusion, no one is too so heavenly-minded that they're no earthly good. All of us are earthly-minded. And we need to get more heavenly minded. The next thing it says is not only can't you take uh, counsel from sinners, not only can't you stand in the path of sinners, you can't sit in the seat of the scornful. That's what the Bible says in verse 1, Psalm 1. Don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Do you see this is a progression? You Don't walk with them. Don't stand with them. Don't sit with them. See, you're walking with somebody. Walking down the hallway, you can't help that. You're on your way to where you're going. They're on the way to where they're going. But when you stop and stand around with them, now you just escalated things. Stop standing around them can, can easily progress to sitting with them. See, this progression is against your blessing. It's against your blessing. You can't not be around ungodly people, but you don't have to walk with them. You don't have to stop where they stop, and you don't have to sit where they sit. And too many Christians hanging around with the wrong people. First thing happens is you, you're, you're listening to them. Then you, you, you're sitting around uh, watching them do what they're doing. And then the next thing you know, you're doing with them what they're doing. This progression is demonic. This progression is purposeful. This, this progression is designed to drag you down and to take you off your blessing. No Christian you, you, you don't get to the place where, Pastor Scott, I'm excited about God. I'm growing in my faith. Life is good. You don't go from that to praying to the devil and, and cursing God in, in three seconds. You know, nobody, it's a progression. You don't just walk wholly away from God in one step. It's a progression. You go from doing what you know to do to dabbling a little bit, dabbing a little bit more, then drowning in it. So if dabbling with it, leads to dabbling with it a little bit more and then drowning in it, what would common sense tell you to do? Don't dabble. Don't mess with that. Don't mess with people that do that. You cannot be blessed hanging out with sinners. You can't be blessed taking advice from sinners. You cannot be blessed sitting in the seat of the people talk bad about God. You ought to stand up and walk out. The Bible says that your rejection of them should be an indictment against them. The Bible says that you should correct them so that others might learn to fear. 
Let folk know, oh, you can't, you can't talk that way in front of Miss Nixon because she'll tell you, don't bring that garbage to me. I told you, you let people gossip to you, bring their trash to you, you become nothing more than a garbage can. When you tell, well, you, could you imagine somebody, you, you, you go over to Deacon Scott's house to you know, he invites you over for his world-famous pizza or cinnamon buns. You go over there, you eat, you, you take your plate half full, just pitch it off into the floor. I'm done. You would not dare do that. You wouldn't dare act that crazy. But if somebody did act that crazy, they need to get corrected. Why? So everybody else in the room would know, hey, that don't go here. We don't act like that here. Christian, man, I don't want to offend nobody. Jesus turned over tables, beat folk with whips. Jesus is not some effeminate person. We need to have some militancy to our Christianity. We need to have some determination to stay on our path of blessing. You're going to let your unsaved, ungodly save but not really live in it? What value is saved but not really living it? What is that? Do they praise God? Do they read their Bible? Do they pray for you? Do they have the ear of God? Can they get a hold of God for you late in the midnight hour when you're stripped? No. But we get caught up in this progression. The next thing the scripture goes on to say in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So not only do we have to not take advice, no counsel from the ungodly, don't stand around with sinners, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Fourth thing we got to do, we got to delight in the Lord. Delight in specifically the law of the Lord, the Scripture says. Do you really think that the average Christian delights in the Bible? That means to love it and just want to be in it. I tell you what, let, let, let a good blockbuster movie come out. I was there because my kids, my kids and I go too many movies. That's what we do. Um, we were there when the Batman versus Superman came out, opening day. And the theater we were at had a church that was meeting in there. And the two pastors of the church, one was dressed up as Batman, one was dressed up. I'm talking about full regalia. And the line was long. People already had their snacks bought, standing in line, waiting to get in. Why? Because they, want, they, they wanted to be in there. They knew they were going to love being there. We don't delight in the Lord, in, in God's word. We've got to change our perception about the Bible. People think it's hard to study the Bible. Let me tell you, it's not hard to read the Bible if you fall in love with the author. You fall in love with the one who wrote the Bible. You'll learn how to love studying the Bible. Let me rush through this stuff. The Bible is not just about rules and regulations. It's about a person named Jesus. It's not just about, about a bunch of history. It is, in fact, his story. And if you learn, if you understand these things, you'll learn how to love the Bible where you can delight in the law of the Lord. If you don't delight in the law of the Lord, stop saying you're blessed. Because God said that this is who I will bless. People to do all them other things and then add this to it, delights in the law of the Lord. Then the next thing, and in his law, he meditates day and night. We can't get people to read Bible seven days in a row. But if you want to be blessed, you got to love reading the Bible and you got to meditate in it day and night. David was able to say under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, so you know he's telling the truth. I love reading your word more than I love money. Now, if we said, hey, you guys, you want to be blessed? We're going to let you stick around here. 
Uh, and we're going to give you Bibles to read, and you can hang out and read Bible in the air conditioning. Uh, if you don't like that, if you're willing to leave now, we're going to give $100 to everybody that leaves. No choice there for the average person because we don't delight in the law of the Lord. We don't meditate in it day and night. David was blessed. You want to know somebody who could literally walk around and say, I'm blessed and highly favored? He was above and not beneath. He was always the head and never the tail. Everything that he did prospered. Why? Because he loved God's word. Read Psalm 119 and find out how much he loved God's word. Day and night, night and day, always in the Bible. That's his life. Hey, my stories are coming on. I got to see what's happening as the world turns. They still got bold and the beautiful? Young and the restless? They ain't even on TV anymore. It is? People got, people are diligent. Listen. Single men, y'all got, y'all got young brothers that are single? Y'all want to help them out? If, if they're lost and you hate God anyway, tell them to figure out some soap opera. Talk, talk to women about soap operas. That, you, you catch them up on their stories, you're in like Flynn. Next. We know more about soap operas than we know about the Bible. We know more about CSI. I, I never watched any CSI other than CSI. Oh, no, Pastor Scott, CSI San Francisco. Oh, CSI Miami, CSI West Los Angeles, CSI Callahan. (laughs) Did it have Grisham on it? I don't watch it. We know more about TV shows, sports teams. Winningest top football coach, NFL, right now. Best best, Best NFL football coach. Anybody know who he is? Bill check. Ain't no question about it. Best NBA basketball coach. Who is it? Anybody? Popovich. They give Popovich more love and respect than anybody. We know so much about so many different things, but we know so little about the thing that we say we love the most. You got to change that if you want to be blessed. David liked hanging out with God. He liked being in the book. He liked reading the scriptures. He loved his time to be alone with the Lord. This is who gets blessed. Anything short of that, you're not blessable. You, you're hanging around sinners, taking advice from them, partying with them. You don't love the word. You don't delight in it. You don't meditate in it. You don't think about God night and day, day and night. You are not blessable. God's a good father. He wants to bless his children. Yeah, all those cliches that people quote are true. My daddy owns a cattle on a thousand hills and all that. Yep, he does. My God's the only real God. Yes, he is. My God's the only God that can save, heal, and deliver. That is true. The blessing of the Lord have overtaken me. Probably not. Why? Because there's a process to being blessed. There is a process. People want, I've told y'all, people want the power of Pentecost, but they're not willing to pay the cost. You want strength with God? You want anointing? You want to hear God? See, this is the heartbreaking thing for me, and I'm done. Here it is, or or you missed everything. It breaks my heart to know that there are people that come to church all the time that find no love in prayer. They wish that they enjoyed praying, but honestly, they don't because they don't really feel comfortable in it. You got to stay with something long enough till you get your breakthrough. That's what I told Julie. Keep praying. 
keep praying when you don't want to. Write a prayer journal. Write down everybody's name that you know. And you call their name out to God. God, thank you for Troy. Thank you for blessing him. God, thank you for Cliff. Thank you for letting him be in my life. Please help him. Write down every name that you know. Write down every prayer request that you can think of. Write down everything. that you, It would be shameful if, if we could honestly tell. And I, and I know he ain't a popular president, but the president of the United States, if we ask right now uh, how many people pray for the president of the United States uh, this week in this room, you don't want to see the answers for that. But we're commanded to. We're commanded to. I didn't say what you had to pray, but you got to pray. But, but do we do that? Do, do, do we pray for our schools? Do we pray for our, for our first responders? These are all people who are in authority. We've been commanded to pray for people who are in authority. It's, it's not by no real reason why the world hates police officers now. We can say it's the brutality, and I get that. We can say it's the mistreatment. I get that. We can say it's the singling out of a certain race. I get, I get all those things. But it's also a fight against doing what God wants us to do. We've been called to pray for all those who are in authority. Especially if you don't like a job somebody's doing, you ought to pray for them to do better. Get a prayer list. Pray down it so all day long you can be thinking about God and prayer. All night, meditate day and night. Read the proverb of the day in the morning. Think about it all day long. Think about what you're concentrating on all day long because God said that that's who he is going to bless. He said in verse 1, blessed is the man who. And then he gave all those five criteria that I just talked about. Get these five things active in your life so God can bless you. Remember, man in the Bible is almost always human. It's not gender specific. It's men and women. This is not just for male human beings. You can fit into verse 1. Blessed is the person that does these things. Why wouldn't we do these things? If I told you, hey, I need you to come straighten up some things at the church. Uh, I need you to stack some chairs. If you get all the chairs stacked in the back closet, I'll pay you 100 bucks. You wouldn't leave nine chairs out. You would do it the way you were told to do it to get the money. God has told us how to get the blessing. But we got TV to watch. We, we got life to live. I understand that we got to do what we got to do. But please think about these five things. Who can you stop hanging around? How can you position yourself to where you start to fall in love with the Bible and spending time with God? I know that it's not all, it doesn't click right away. But if you do it and you keep doing it, you're going to be excited when you start learning something. Like, oh, I understand that now. That's kind of cool. I, I, I like what I just read. I, I get that. And then you're going to get that feeling more and more for reading the Bible. Then you pray, and it's weird, and it's like, well, what difference does it make? Yeah, I've been praying for the same thing forever. It ain't never come true. Uh, but when you pray for something and you see God move in that situation, then you're like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. And then prayer becomes vital to who you are. Bible study becomes vital to who you are. And then you are blessed and highly favored. And then you can truly say, God is overtaking me with his goodness. And your bitterness will go. Your anger will go. 
your confusion about why God ain't doing for you what he, you think he ought to be doing for you, well, I'll go. And all you'll be left with is he loves me and I love him. And that's good enough. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Help us, God, to be the people who you can bless. Thank you for desiring to bless your children. Thank you for calling us your children. Thank you for allowing us to be in right relationship with you by faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in you, God. We believe in your son, Jesus. We believe in your holy word. And we ask you, God, to help us get on the right path so that you, our loving Heavenly Father, can bless us as your faithful children. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.